0: First, and this is VOA's International Edition, I am Chinatowo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, the UN says Russia may have committed war crimes in Ukraine by killing civilians and destroying hospitals. The massive
1: destruction of civilian objects and the high number of civilian casualties strongly indicate that the fundamental principles of distinction has not been sufficiently adhered to.
0: US President Joe Biden assures Singapore of a free and prosperous Indo-Pacific amid
2: Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's an attack on the core international principles and it, that underpin peace and security and prosperity everywhere, including in the Indo-Pacific.
0: And a Saudi-led coalition battling Yemen, Iran-backed Houthis, observe a unilateral ceasefire in the year-long war. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. A top U.N. human rights official says Russia may have committed war crimes by killing civilians and destroying hospitals in its pounding of Ukrainian cities. Michelle Bakilek, addressing the U.N. Human Rights Council in Geneva, called on Russia to withdraw its troops. She also said her office had received, quote, credible allegations, unquote, that Russian forces had used cluster munitions in populated areas of Ukraine at least 24 times, and said her office was also investigating alleged use of cluster munitions by Ukraine. Moscow has denied targeting civilians in what it calls, quote, a special operation, unquote, to disarm and, quote, denazify, unquote, its neighbor. Bakelet says her office, which deploys nearly 60 UN human rights monitors in Ukraine, had verified 77 incidents in which medical facilities were damaged, including 50 hospitals. The
1: massive destruction of civilian objects. the high number of civilian casualties strongly indicate that the fundamental principles of distinction proportionality and precaution has not been sufficiently adhered to the persistent use of explosive weapons with wide area effects in populated areas is of immense concern these weapons include missiles heavy artillery shells and rockets and airstrikes causing massive destruction of and damage to civilian objects In the besieged city of Mariupol, people are living in sheer terror. The situation is worsening by the day, with constant shelling, fighting in the streets and people struggling to survive with the bare minimum of life's necessities including food, water and medical supplies. We are looking into allegations that some Mariupol residents have been forcibly evacuated either to territory controlled by Russian affiliated armed groups or to the Russian Federation. Homes and administrative buildings, hospitals and schools, water stations and electricity system have not been set. We have verified 77 incidents in which medical facilities were damaged to various degrees, including 50 hospitals, 7 psychoneurological facilities and 20 other medical facilities. Overall, 55 medical establishments were damaged, then destroyed, and two were looted. For more than one month now, the entire population of Ukraine has been enduring a living nightmare.
0: That's United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michel Bachelet. Turkish-made drones have featured prominently in Ukraine's resistance against Russia's invasion, taking out significant Russian targets in the first weeks of the war. But the conflict and any possibility of a Russian victory have cast a shadow over the future of Turkey's rapidly growing drone industry, which relies on Ukrainian engines. Dorian Jones in Istanbul explains. Yes. Yes.
3: In one of many videos released by the Ukrainian military, a Turkish-made Bayraktar drone destroys a Russian tank to the cheers of the drone operators. But with the Bayraktar drone powered by Ukrainian engines, Samuel Bennett of the U.S.-based Center for Naval Analysis warns any Russian victory in Ukraine could set back Turkey's rapidly growing drone industry.
4: Russia sees uh, Bayraktar's TB2s in particular as a highly competitive weapon and technology not just in the former Soviet space, but in the global aerial vehicle market. Uh, Russians are nervous that Bayraktar's are penetrating former Soviet space and the Caucasus and Central Asia. Uh, Now Ukraine... Um, And so if Russians were to sort of exercise the full extent of their powers in uh, the outcome of the negotiations, they would probably seek to limit Ukrainian military cooperation with Turkey so as not to further Turkish growing advantage in certain technologies like
0: UAV.
3: Ukraine not only provides cutting-edge engine know-how, but also it does not put restrictions on Turkish companies selling to third parties. Turkish drone use in conflicts like the Ethiopian Civil War has drawn international criticism from rights groups. James Rogers, assistant professor in war studies at the University of Southern Denmark, says the Turkish drone industry would not have the same freedom of use if it turned to its Western allies for engines. There are are more restrictions when you deal with UK, European or American suppliers, and that's something that Turkey will most definitely have to keep in mind. We know the United States has been very select about who it sells drones and drone elements to around the world. It's one of the reasons why Turkey started its entire indigenous drone program, because Congress would not approve the sales of Reaper predator generation medium altitude long endurance drones to Turkey. Earlier this year, a prominent Turkish military helicopter deal with Pakistan collapsed over Washington's restriction on use of American engines. In addition, Congress has been enforcing increased controls on the supplies of military components to Turkey over Ankara's purchase of Russia's S-400-made missile defence system. While Ankara has received praise from Washington over its support of Ukraine, Aaron Stein, director of research at the Foreign Policy Research Institute, expects little change in Washington's stance towards Turkey.
4: One side is that Turkey is hostile to the United States. It's no longer an ally, it's an adversary, and we should be treating it as such. And on the other side, it's we misunderstand Turkey. Turkey needs a big hug because they're so important. The government is usually somewhere in the middle, and then usually current events sort of reinforce positions on either side.
3: Given the challenges of finding an alternative to Ukrainian engines, Turkey's drone industry will likely look for drones to thwart Moscow's ambitions and secure both Kiev and its future. Dorian Jones, VOA News, Istanbul.
0: Following its invasion of Ukraine, countries in the North Atlantic Treaty Alliance, NATO, imposed comprehensive sanctions on Russia in a bid to cripple its ability to participate meaningfully in the global economy. The wide-ranging sanctions could affect Africa's ability to procure and maintain military hardware from Russia. Reporter Andrew Moha discussed the risks and opportunities of this analysis with Cameron Hudson, a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, and former chief of staff at the office of the U.S. Special Envoy to Sudan in the U.S. Department of State. I think that the world
4: is trying to isolate uh, the Russian economy. One of the aspects of Russia, their trading relationship with the with the continent is is arms sales figure very prominently and heavily. But I would also suggest that it has not been beneficial to the continent to have uh, those arms sales, especially when you look at uh, the principal purchasers of those, namely Sudan. So the fact that Russian arms may be less available on the African continent as I think, uh, not necessarily a bad thing. Almost half of Africa's imports
5: of
1: military equipment, 49%, come from Russia. By comparison, China accounts for 13% of the continent's arms imports. Do you think Africa might shift to China for its military exports instead of Russia?
4: Well, I think that Africa is going to uh, seek military hardware and assistance from whoever is offering the most attractive terms and offering the most attractive uh, hardware for the needs. I mean, obviously, you have to look at some of the conflicts that are playing out in Africa right now, and you're seeing that it isn't just a question of Russia or China. The United Arab Emirates, Turkey, Kuwait have become significant players. Egypt, a significant player in arms sales uh, across the continent. And so I think you're going to see a diversity of actors that are engaging in in arms sales, uh, taking over, filling the vacuum and void left over by the, the Russian involvement.
1: The biggest buyers of armaments from Russia and most long-standing importers are Algeria, Angola, Burkina Faso, Egypt, Subia, Morocco, and Uganda. Egypt and Algeria are in the top 10 list of major importers in the world. Could the U.S. and Western countries replace Russia in arms sales to Africa?
4: I think that that's not something that the United States would be particularly well placed to do, given, I think, the the agenda that Washington has in trying to limit conflict on the continent. I think you're seeing right now a lot of effort to to try to move away from a purely securitized approach to dealing with African countries and engaging African countries. You know, you've seen the number of coup d'etats in Africa sharply rise in the last six months. And I think there's some questioning here in Washington about whether or not, you know, a military first approach to engaging African governments is in fact the right approach, especially with the Biden administration trying to say that it is placing a new emphasis on democracy. And
0: governance issues on the continent. That's Cameron Hudson of the Atlantic Council speaking with reporter Angie Omar. A free and prosperous Indo Pacific is more important than ever, President Joe Biden said while meeting with his Singaporean counterpart against the backdrop of a raging conflict in Ukraine. Biden has painted the war as a global struggle between liberal democracy and autocracy. Singapore's leader said this is a battle for the rules based global order. VOA's Anita Power reports from the White House.
6: The tiny nation of Singapore is more than 8,000 kilometers from Kyiv, but the events there loom large for the Indo-Pacific, said Prime Minister Lee Shenlong during his first White House visit with Biden on Tuesday. Lee reiterated his nation's strong support of Kyiv because, he said, what happens in Europe reverberates around
0: the world. The war in the Ukraine has implications for the Asia-Pacific. There are potential flashpoints and contentious issues in our region, too which, if not managed well, could escalate to open conflict. Countries with interests in the region need to pursue all efforts to settle disagreements through peaceful means so that we can avoid reaching a point of no return.
6: Biden, who spent much of the last week in Europe shoring up those alliances, underscored the importance of global unity against
2: Russian aggression. Putin's war is an unacceptable to nations in every region of the world, not just Europe, but in every region of the world. It's an attack on the core international principles and it, that underpin peace and security and prosperity everywhere, including in the Indo-Pacific. Today, Singapore and the United States are united and sending the message to all nations, to all nations, regardless of their size or population. They are equal in their right and their rights on the global stage. They have a right to sovereignty and territorial integrity and to determine their own future free from violence and intimidation.
6: Lee is the first leader from the Association of Southeast Asian Nations to visit the White House during the Biden administration. On Monday, he met with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Analyst Zach Cooper said Singapore, which has just 5 million people, but is a major economic force in Southeast Asia, is sure to appreciate this high level of engagement from the world's largest economy.
4: I think for Singapore, this is an important show that it's going to stand up for the rules of the existing international order. And being able to come to the White House and, and be rewarded for that is, is an important uh, signal that, that the United States appreciates what Singapore's done the last few weeks. And I think what we're going to hear over the next few months is a real desire from Singapore for the United States to take more of a leadership role economically. And I, I'm sure they will have passed that along in this White House visit. And regional experts say
6: this small nation has a lot to offer the U.S., Mark Mealy is senior vice president of policy at the U.S. ASEAN Business Council.
2: The last year alone, uh, Singapore was America's 18th largest trade partner in the world, uh, and is also a free trade partner. And I think probably a couple of points that will be really part of the dialogue here is that, you know, we talk about, and you know, even before the Ukraine Russia conflict. The importance that the Biden administration was really placing on trying to strengthen the resilience of America's global supply chains. Singapore, uh, in a number of key areas like energy and technology, is one of a major uh, trading and distribution hubs for the Indo-Pacific region. And Biden said this warm friendship will soon expand as the U.S. hopes
6: to host more ASEAN leaders for a summit in coming months.
0: Anita Paul News, the White House. Thank you, especially for receiving me. Jordan's King Abdullah is pressing diplomacy separately with Palestinian and Israeli leaders in a bid to prevent a repeat of last year's Ramadan violence between Israel and Gaza. The monarch meets Israel's President Isaac Herzog on Wednesday, the first official visit by an Israeli head of state to Jordan. It comes as Israel deals with a fresh wave of deadly violence, including an attack in a Tel Aviv suburb Tuesday. That left at least five people dead. They'll give like reports from a man.
5: Israel is already on high alert following a series of deadly attacks over the past week, and there is concern about an outbreak of violence in the Palestinian territories. Jordanian analyst Amr Sabeli tells VOA that King Abdullah is concerned about security and stability in the territories, particularly the West Bank, where tensions are rising as Ramadan approaches this weekend. Sabeli is a non-resident fellow at the Washington-based Stinson Center. The main challenge
3: today... Jordan is to avoid any turmoil or any kind of destabilization in the West Bank, because most of the reports are talking about the addition of violence. One of the major issues for Jordan is to contain the situation in the West Bank to avoid any kind of falling into chaos at this stage, and this requires a kind of very flexible diplomacy of the body, and it comes in a moment where Jordan started to have an open relation with the Israelis, to communicate openly with Israeli officials. This means for Jordan, a new opportunity as well to influence the internal scene in the Palestinian territories.
5: April is a sensitive period when Ramadan, Passover, and Easter converge. The conjunction of the religious holidays last year saw tension sparked in Jerusalem, an 11-day war erupt between Israel and Gaza, and ethnic Israeli-Arab violence. Security fears in Israel are mounting after three deadly attacks in which at least 11 people were killed within a week. Two attacks were carried out by Israeli Arabs inspired by Islamic State, and the other by a Palestinian gunman. Concerns are rising of more attacks or an outbreak of intercommunal violence. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett said the country was facing a wave of terrorism palestinian militant groups hamas and islamic jihad recently called for stepped-up attacks in the west bank and jerusalem palestinian officials have repeatedly warned that the west bank was on the verge of exploding we've seen significant tension in jerusalem which hasn't died down since the last line of conflict international crisis group analyst tahani mustafa told the Saudi Arab News newspaper. It only makes sense for Jordan to try and intervene in some way to quell tensions, he said. King Abdullah and Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz agreed on the need to preserve freedom of worship in Jerusalem and the West Bank and the importance of security coordination during the religious festivals. Jordan is the custodian of Jerusalem's Muslim and Christian holy sites under a 1994 peace treaty with Israel. The King and Israeli President Isaac Herzog say they are tackling the issues while seeking to deepen ties and maintain regional security. Dale Gavlak for VOA News, Amman.
0: news a saudi-led coalition battling iran's backed houthis have begun observing a unilateral ceasefire in the year-long war even as rebels say they rejected the proposal a saudi-proposed pause in fighting began at 6 a.m on wednesday ahead of the holy muslim fasting month of ramadan in the past several similar truce efforts have failed and there was no immediate independent confirmation on whether the hostilities had in fact paused between saudi-led forces and the houthi rebels The Houthis are skipping an ongoing summit over the war called by the Saudi-based Gulf Cooperation Council because it's taking place in Saudi Arabia, their adversary's territory. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaneews.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinelo Afo in Washington. U.N. and U.S. envoys said on Wednesday unilateral truce moves by Yemen's warring sites are encouraging steps but stressed the need for a more comprehensive ceasefire to ease a dire humanitarian crisis. Lucy Field of Reuters has
7: more. The Saudi-led coalition said it would temporarily halt military operations from Wednesday. That was after the Iran-aligned Houthis declared a three-day cessation of cross-border attacks and ground offensives. It's the most significant step in peace efforts for more than three years. Seven years of war have killed tens of thousands in Yemen and pushed millions into hunger. The UN had called for a truce during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, which starts this week. The UN and US envoys stressed the need for a more comprehensive ceasefire, speaking at talks hosted by Saudi Arabia of allied factions. The Houthis say they will only attend talks if they are held in a neutral country. This was the UN's special envoy to Yemen, Hans Grundberg, in Riyadh on Wednesday.
1: I have been encouraged by the enthusiastic participation of Yemeni political parties, components, experts and civil society representatives in this process.
0: Across the
1: plurality of voices, a common message has emerged. Yemenis want the war to end, and they want a just and durable
6: peace.
7: U.S. Special Envoy Tim Lenderking told the gathering in Riyadh that the unilateral announcements were a step in the right direction. The two envoys have been pressing Riyadh to ease coalition sea and air restrictions on areas held by the Houthis who ousted the Saudi-backed government from the capital Sana'a in late 2014, prompting the coalition to intervene months later. They have also urged the Houthis to end an offensive in energy-producing Marib, the internationally recognised government's last stronghold in North Yemen. A permanent ceasefire has proved elusive, with both sides resisting compromise. The conflict is largely seen as a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran.
0: A new report on the human rights situation in the Central African Republic says combating impunity is key to achieving national reconciliation and a durable peace in a war-torn country. The report from a UN investigator was submitted to the UN Human Rights Council on Monday. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva.
8: The report says atrocities and human rights violations continue to be committed by various armed groups in the Central African Republic, including by the mainly Muslim ex-Selica, the largely Christian anti-Balaka, and FACA, the armed forces of the CAR. UN investigator Yahweh Betse accuses them of pillaging and looting villages and of threatening the civilian population with violence to exact illegal taxes. He expresses particular concern about reports of ongoing human rights abuse by Russian mercenaries employed by the Wagner Group, a private security company which reportedly has close ties with FACA. He says witnesses have reported many crimes perpetrated by the mercenaries. Agbetse told the council they include sexual violence, intimidation, destruction of homes, racketeering and torture. He speaks through an interpreter.
3: The Russian bilateral forces have also hindered investigations where violations of human rights were committed. As regards contractual relations with the CAR um, under international law, the Russian bilateral forces uh, are not a recognized international body.
8: Therefore, said Agbetse, the responsibility for violations falls on the Central African Republic government, which must take all measures to achieve justice for the victims. In response, CAR Minister of Justice Jubai Abazene told the UN Council that his government is making major reforms, He says it is improving the security sector and has a new judicial and court system which is working to shed light on allegations of human rights abuse. He speaks through an interpreter.
3: Investigations are now open for all presumed allegations and cases of human rights violations. Whoever the perpetrators may be and whatever their positions may be, they will be brought to justice and punished. You can be reassured of that.
8: The president of the CAR Truth, Justice and Reparations Committee, Marie-Edith Douzima said 87 percent of the population thinks it is possible to have lasting peace in the car providing those responsible for violence are punished she said it is vital to combat impunity for the car to find a way out of the repeated crises afflicting the country she noted that to date no victims of sexual or other crimes have received compensation and reparations that wrong she added must be rectified. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Hi,
6: I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including a new round of peace talks aimed at ending Russia's invasion of Ukraine began in Turkey as Russia shelling continues throughout Ukraine, despite the Kremlin announcing new battle plans focused on the eastern region. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America.
4: Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday at 1935 UTC, join me, Steve Miller, as I put the latest developments into a global context with interviews and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash Flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player.
0: This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth